Hi everyone, Edna Kimball, Edna Sells, and welcome to today's episode where we have Sam Bradshaw. Sam, welcome. Thank you. Yes, we're so excited that you're here. Appreciate it. Now, you are the founding father or the founder of the Men's Shelter here in Tahlequah. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of the co-founders. Co-founders, there, okay. There's a couple of us that started the Tahlequah Men's Shelter back in 2006, 2007. Oh, that long. Okay, I wasn't sure how long. And um, just before the camera started rolling, you were mentioning that um, you've got uh, some outreach programs that are going to be coming up this fall. But give us the just kind of the rundown of what the Men's Shelter does for the community. Okay. So the Tahlequah Men's Shelter started around 2007, and uh, we primarily provide uh, housing uh, for the the homeless men in Tahlequah that are willing to come in and live in the shelter and uh, we have it's kind of a communal living we only have the capacity for about 12 men right now mm -hmm. um, and uh, it stays full most of the time as soon as I have a vacancy um, you know there's another one ready so at, at the shelter right now we've gone through different um, you know, we, we, we've grown over the years presently right now so uh, a new person comes in we do an intake on them we do a background check to make sure that there's not any major outstanding uh, law enforcement issues okay. um, and uh, we do a comprehensive assessment a biopsychosocial assessment where we determine what's going on with them and I have a case manager there that does that um, we create them a uh, action plan of um, getting their basic needs met. Um, you know, a lot of times the, the unhoused men in the area um, need a lot of different things. Sometimes they don't have a driver's license and they don't have an ID. They don't have any uh, uh, food. You know, they don't have their social security card. And so our social worker or case manager will work with them and uh, help helping them get those basic things. Because uh, you can't get a job. To get a house if you don't have a driver's license or social security. Correct. Right. And so, um, you know, uh, you just got to start there many times, you know, and just uh, a, lot of those, a lot of times the men have been living in the streets or wherever their situation be. And uh, for a while, for a couple of weeks, they just need some rest, some downtime. And so we don't just like you're in and then you need to get out and go find a job you know we're, we we kind of provide them you know some love if you will you know and give them some time to uh, get get rested and um, deal with the fatigue get gets good nutrition and, and then we work slowly with them and help them develop a plan you know the long-term goal is of course to always help them become a um, you know have permanent housing and be a productive citizen in the community but uh, there's a lot of challenges that they may face and it, and it takes a while so we, we um, get them stabilized and then we start working with them every one of them has a different um, plan you know not everyone's the same some may just be in between jobs or may you know um, be temporary um, uh, unhoused and uh, so there's different levels of where we meet them so we just kind of meet them where they are is the best way to to put it is we meet them where they are and based upon that assessment we create a, a plan of action to get them up and get them going again okay so someone would come to your facility and you do tell me again you do a biomedical 
that's called a it's a social work term. It's a okay. biopsychosocial assessment. Okay, so, so you just kind of see are there any health issues that you need to address? Yeah. What is their background? Yeah. You know, make sure that they're safe for the other right. um, um, tenants or, or people staying there and then see you know, maybe mentally, if yeah. there's something that they're struggling with. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, that makes sense. You've got to you've got to know what is happening that got them there, maybe. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, it, they all come in with different issues, and um, you know, so we just try to find that out, okay. D dig down, and find that out, whatever they're willing to, um, you know, reveal to us at that time. And a lot of times they're not very open, and that's when we kind of have. A couple of weeks acclimation period to just kind of get them stabilized and um, you know then we work with them build a rapport with them and get them to at a higher level of readiness to change okay and Sam how did you get into this what is your background that, yeah. that caused you to do become a co-founder you know I get asked that a lot um, you know I don't never really know how to answer that I've just uh, done it for a long time I just um, uh, I was in the Marine Corps and I was stationed in Yuma, Arizona and uh, my job at the time was to, uh, we would have these uh, company field trips where we'd go out into the community, set up in the park and we'd have a barbecue and everything for the mm -hmm. Marines. And uh, I was I was working uh, on setting that up one time in, in a park in Yuma, Arizona and there was a river going along there, the Colorado River goes through there. and. So I'm out there like nine o'clock in the morning and all these men started coming up out of that, wow. that riverbed. And it was uh, Marine veterans from Vietnam and other wars that were, um, you know, unhoused and they were living in that riverbed. And, and so I began to talk to them, you know, like, what's going on? Why? Like, you know, because at one time they were just like me in the Marine Corps and... and um, very skilled, very educated, yeah. Correct. Yeah. And so I just became really curious and what happened to them and why are they living in that riverbed and like, how did you get here? And, uh, you know, I thought, well, how could I help that? You know, what can I help my fellow Marine with? Because we're taught to take care of each other in the Marine Corps. And so uh, rather active duty or not active, you know, so yeah. they're like, we have a brotherhood. And so they're, we're like my brothers. And so. And so I just began to kind of think about that, you know, and it used to trouble me, like why they were in that situation. So I, I started with that. Um, that I think that's where it originally started. Uh, just, uh, I mean, what inside me made me do that? I don't know. You know, probably being um, brought up with in, in a family of five and we all took care of each other or family yeah. of seven, you know, so yeah. um, I don't know. Um, and, and you came back to Tahlequah to, yeah. to do it here. I love that. Yeah, then I, I once I got out of the Marine Corps, I, I lived in San Diego, um, California, and uh, there they have a high, high, high homeless right. population. Yeah. In San Diego, L.A., Santa Barbara, and so um, I just started volunteering there, and I would volunteer in the um, missions and things down there. And so mm -hmm. I, I uh, began to think about the homeless and... See, saw it as this, this huge societal problem that we're not addressing very well, you know. And so I'm I'm always curious of why that is and and what's going on in humanity that um, we um, have this issue and what is it as 
as uh, humans, you know, right. what what can we do to help out our fellow humans? So well, let's let's talk about some of the myths surrounding mm -hmm. the unhoused. Okay. Yeah. So myth number one, <clears throat> true or false? Okay. Is this a myth or not? Um, Tahlequah has such great programs and services for the homeless that other cities and counties bus their homeless here and drop them off. True. Yeah, so I've been working in the streets in Tahlequah since at least 2005, okay? Right. And I can tell you that that is absolutely not true. Okay, okay. So yeah. I don't want to say that has there been um, some town drop someone off here, maybe, but it's, you know, it's going to be like less than, you know, a half percent. Okay. okay. You know, and I don't know where that that myth rumor comes from. I I feel like it's part of denial okay. of a of a human problem, a societal problem. Um, you know, I talk to people that do the similar work all over the United States, all over Oklahoma, and they have the same rumor. And so it's some sort of uh, denial thing that people get into, and it's like, oh, these can't be. Our, this can't be our problem. These can't be our people from our community. This got to be someone else. And so that I think as human beings, we want to we want to think, you know, that it's someone else's problem, and it's not our community's problem, you know. And it is. And and even if here's the deal is even if um, they are busted, in, it's still a societal problem. And it's still a community problem. And and if we're going to have a loving, caring um, uh, community, then as humans, we still need to, as, as a good human being, I should say, we should still do something about it. So I have a feeling if I said we've got a lot of extra wood, should we build the fence higher or should we build the table longer? I think I know your answer. Uh, okay, say that again. Now. Build the table longer, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely <laughs> sure. build the table longer. For sure. Yeah. Um, another myth that we have is that, um, and this one I kind of cringe to say it, but people say um, a myth for the homeless is that they're there because they want to be. Yeah, not true. Absolutely. You know, um, not true at all. Um, I went down yesterday, we had some extra food, and I went through the streets handing out sandwiches. And those people are hungry. They are uh, in need of services. They do not, you know, want to be that way. Um, there are some that we call chronic homeless that may choose to stay in the streets or in the woods or something. But it's really not because, so that I want to be is, is kind of different. It's because they don't have the skill set or, you know, they may have some um, social anxiety to be able to come into the shelter and to be able to do things. They may have such huge underlying mental health issues where they have extreme anxiety, depression, and they don't think that they're going to get any help. And so when they come into a shelter or to a facility, they don't have the disposition to follow the rules, you know, gotcha. and so they they may choose like this is not for me. I'm I'm better off out in the woods or in the streets. And so, um, you know, I I don't think that anyone really chooses to be home.
Yeah, I, that would be a hard choice, wouldn't mm -hmm. it? That doesn't, especially in Oklahoma weather. Yeah. <laughs> the extremes. And then the third myth is that they're all alcoholics, and again, they just need to quit drinking. Okay, so there's a problem with just that that question because um, most alcoholics cannot just quit drinking. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, because they're yeah. that that's a disease, uh, a brain disease. It's an addiction, and so. Um, I hear that often, so um, yeah, there's a high percentage of them that have alcohol and substance abuse issues, but again, it's from underlying issues, and um, many times we don't know the circumstances of what led someone to be, you know, living in the streets, and um, typically, in my opinion, the resources in the community aren't set up to help them to get better, you know. A person uh, that's an alcoholic or a drug addict, they, they develop a disease. They would be like saying, you know, since you have diabetes, you just need to quit having diabetes. Yeah. You know, you just need to quit having high blood pressure, right? And so you've got to do things to, to reduce the risk factors associated with that, right? So um, alcoholism, substance abuse is a disease of the brain. Uh, when someone has trauma from childhood or whatever issues, they uh, don't like the way they feel, and so they self-medicate through alcohol and substance abuse, and it helps them cope with whatever's going on inside them. And then over time, it changes the brain pathways of how the brain works. And so despite negative consequences, they continue to use. And so anyone that says that or believes that or, or thinks that or is going to have a conversation about that, I would challenge them to go understand go first understand the disease of addiction. An alcoholic, if you're a true alcoholic, you can't just stop drinking. You know, you've got to have help because if you stop drinking, you're going to go into withdrawals and which can kill you. And so that's something we do see occasionally in communities where um, alcoholics, you know, uh, live in the streets, run out of alcohol, they go into withdrawal. They'll, you might hear a story in the big cities where they found someone in the alley or something like that. Right. right. You know, so, um, you know, the, the just the concept of just quit drinking is is uh, troublesome for me. But you know, it's people. Uh, you know, again, you know, if you have another disease, it doesn't tell you. You just need to quit having that disease. Right. So. So is your facility set up to assist people with some of these challenges and problems? Yes, it is. So first, um, at the men's shelter, despite what many people may think, uh, we do not allow alcohol and drugs in the shelter. Uh, we have uh, a new policy where when they come in, they, ha they have to understand that um, no alcohol or drugs is allowed. And if caught, you will um, be disciplined, you know, depending on the situation. Sure. Uh, we, we want our shelter to be alcohol and drug free. We have many people in there working on their sobriety and their recovery from alcohol and drugs. And so we can't allow other people to bring it in. Mm -hmm. Now, does someone bring it in? Yeah, they do, you know, because they're alcoholics and drug addicts. Yeah. So guess what? Alcoholics and drug addicts use alcohol and drugs. So um, when they're caught, we try to get them to treatment or um, other things. So we have a grant right now called Building Community Recovery. And what it provides is it provides us um, a peer recovery support specialist. So uh, during that assessment phase, if, if uh, alcohol and substance abuse is an issue, 
then we'll, we will work with them. We put them with a peer recovery coach, which is someone that's in recovery themselves from alcohol and drugs. So they're just kind of a coach, and they, they'll take them to, um, if they want to go to inpatient treatment, then we, we leverage resources and work with the uh, other agencies that work in the same field. If they need to go to inpatient treatment, we'll help get them to inpatient treatment. If they're in inpatient treatment and they need to come home, we'll, we'll go get them. And, and if they need a place to stay, they can come and stay with us. Um, our peer recovery coaches work with them, uh, sort of like a sponsor does in uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, where they teach them to stay sober. So we have this old saying where um, it's easy to get sober. The hard part is staying sober. Oh, okay. You know, and so our peer recovery coaches work with them, and, and uh, uh, they're working every day. Uh, anybody that has an alcohol and drug problem that comes into the shelter that wants to go to treatment, we get them to treatment right away. So the purpose really of the shelter is to try to help this individual overcome some of these challenges and get back into the workforce or back in with family members that can assist them and get them off the street because that's just not, it's not a healthy situation for them or for the community. Yeah, we want them to be self-sufficient, you know, and, and uh, that's, that's the ultimate goal. Um, a lot of times it takes a long time. And so at the shelter, we're doing the basic assessment, the basic steps um, to, to get them motivated uh, to begin to change because many times they've, they've had so many disappointments in their lives and they usually have low self-esteem and they have low self-efficacy. They don't really believe they have the skills to do anything. They've been beat down, you know, mentally and physically and emotionally. And so we try to um, provide uh, confidence and in a lot of our early goals is just to help build confidence. And uh, yeah, so we, we provide on pretty comprehensive care in uh, for alcoholic for people struggling with um, alcohol substance disorders. Okay, and you were mentioning that this fall you've got a couple of uh, outreach programs. What are some of the things that our listeners could possibly donate, or if they want to do a cash donation? What where, where does that money go? Yeah, so um, what we're looking at doing uh, this winter, you know, when cold weather comes, everyone gets concerned about the unhoused out in the parks and the woods and things, and, and as we are. Um, a lot of times some, you know, we only have 12 beds, you know, so there's not enough uh, shelters for them sometimes. So we wanted, we've always kind of had a informal community outreach where we go out into the streets and we'll feed and, um, to do different things like that and visit with the, the, the men and the women in the streets. And, and uh, so when winter comes, it gets pretty rough for them. So what we want to do is we're trying to have a fundraiser or donations where people can bring us um, sock hats, warm gloves, socks, blankets, um, maybe even some sleeping bags, you know, cold weather sleeping bags. And uh, we would even be interested in uh, some tents, you know, like one or two man tents, um, because, uh, you know, so some of those folks aren't going to come in, so we want to make sure that they're not out there freezing. So when someone donates, we usually, so we have a couple of grants, and those grants allow us to buy certain things, and so we're restricted by grant funding, right? And so we have most of our basic things we need for operational costs down. It's the, um, sometimes we'll fall short on meat, 
and so the money that's donated will will go buy fresh meat for the guys, you know, and um, uh, hygiene items. So we'll use that for that. Um, sometimes when our shelter is full uh, and we get um, uh, other people coming in that want to come into a shelter and we don't have the space, we'll use those funds for buying a motel room. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we'll buy a motel room for one or two weeks and with the understanding they still got to do our case planning sure. and everything. So we'll use the funds for that because um, our grant funds doesn't allow it. And um, uh, we'll usually buy the men clothes um, during the holidays, if it's during the holiday season, you know, most of those people don't um, have family providing them Christmas presents and stuff. And so we'll try to buy them a Christmas meal and a little Christmas present. And so that's what we use our cash donations for. Okay, okay. And then you had mentioned a hygiene kit. What does that look like? Yeah, so um, it, it's basic, um, something that you can take in the streets and put these little packets together. And so it'll have like bar soap and a wash rag, some wipes, comb, toothbrush, toothpaste. Um, and then, you know, for the for the um, the women, you know, maybe some hygiene products, things like that. And then um, we have outreach workers and we go out to the streets and give it to them, you know, where if they're not going to be able to come in and into one of the shelters or some other place, they, they at least have to stay clean and, uh, use, you know, so that's that's primarily what it is. Okay. And I think one of the things that people get confused on when it comes to the unhoused or homeless yeah. is that if you if we choose to just ignore them, the problem is not going to go away. And in fact, it's going to be more of a burden on the community because then the medical issues become quite serious or maybe that person then chooses to, to do something that's going to, you know, harm someone, you know. Mm -hmm. So if we can catch them and help them before it gets to a sense of desperation or a major medical problem, any of those things are going to cost the community way more. Absolutely, yeah. The um, you know those those folks uh, may have um, Hep C, HIV. Um, it, you know, there's there are um, people in the streets that use IV drugs. You know, and so um, they can be leaving dirty needles around. Oh you know, which is is a topic. Um, of another, you know, could be a whole nother um, conversation, yeah. But, but yeah, so just in general, yes, the, the, the people that are living on the streets does impact the economy. Um, in regards to the uh, harm reduction, we call it is, is uh, the Cherokee Nation just recently opened up a harm reduction clinic. And so one of the uh, biggest diseases that people can get who inject drugs um, is Hep C and HIV. Mm -hmm. So the um, harm, re harm reduction allows you to come in and bring in dirty needles. So you're getting them off the streets. You're getting mm -hmm. the dirty needles off the streets. It's a safe place to do it, and they give them clean needles. And then they check them for, if, if they choose to, they can uh, get um, tested for Hep C or HIV. So it reduces infection rates um, by catching it, and then we get them to treatment for that. And so harm reduction is a thing that a lot of people are new to, um, but it's really just reducing harm of diseases and it reduces crime, you know, um, and, uh, you know, uh, it's something that we have to look at as a community and begin to understand and how harm reduction can help us in the community. 
because it does show that when there's a harm reduction um, services in the community, it uh, you know reduces the negative impact on the community financially and other. Yeah. So if it's not just a a, a humane decision that you're wanting to make, if it's yeah. if it's more for the community, then that's that it's been proven that it really does help. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if people wanted to help, the the number one easiest way to help is just a cash donation. Well, you know, yeah. Each month we, we you know, people mail us a check, um, you know, twenty five dollars, fifty dollars, seventy five dollars, or whatever, and we take that money and it helps. Um, you know, we our 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 staff have grant funding, so any donations we get is going into direct care for the men, okay. and or to help you know with utilities or something like that, and. So yeah, the number one way would be to mouse check, you know, at 118 West Katua, Tahlequah Women's Shelter, 118 West Katua, Tahlequah. Um, and that's a 503C, so yeah, it's... Yeah, it's a 501C3, okay. and they'll receive a thank you card, it's tax deductible, and um, uh, that's the easiest way to help us. Uh, if they want to drop off, um, so we always need men's clothes, okay? okay. Oh, okay. Um, but here's the thing that most people don't understand is that we'll get people, you know, to clean out their closets and, you know, and, and I mean, I get it, you know, they want, they want them to go somewhere that's going to be used, but we'll get like extra larges and XX larges pants. And so most of the men that come into the shelter are skinny. Okay. And so, uh, we need, uh, men's smalls and mediums, you know, Okay. Very valid point. I'm yeah. About yeah. That. And so, yeah. um, so we end up getting a lot of men's clothes that we can't use. Okay. You know, so they're like, I'm like, hey, go in there, try those clothes on. They're like, they're all too big. <laughs> so they're they're usually like waistline is usually between like 28 and 34. Okay, you know. which would make sense because yeah. they're malnutrition. Yeah, and, yeah, and they've not, been walking the streets and not yeah. eating right. And yeah. So we can always use men's clothes, but if if possible, you know. Um, bring us smaller men's clothes and if you uh, you could literally can just bring those and drop them off on the step and our manager will get them and, and cycle them in there and so I don't want to sound negative about the the large size donations because what we do is we do take those and we'll donate them to another facility that okay that um, could utilize yeah. them yeah. yeah now my my mother travels quite a bit and she always gets all of the little self size you know yeah. from the hotel the shampoos and, and then she donates those in her town is that something that yeah. would be helpful absolutely yeah um that's how we build our hygiene kids okay um we just get like the little travel size that you get in the motels nowadays even though a lot of motels are not going to the pumps on the wall. Right, that's <laughs> true. They're kind of going away. But, but if somebody's been hoarding those for a few years, yeah. that would be that'd be a great yeah. use. Yeah, uh, uh, shampoo, conditioner, hand soaps, um, toothpaste, uh, toothbrushes. Okay. We can always do that. And also, one of the items that we, which made me think, is we always need um, men's underwear and socks and t-shirts. Okay, and preferably in the smaller sizes that yeah. you have them. Okay. Yeah, preferably new. Okay. But, you know, um, so I mean, if people want to go out and buy that, you know, not not kid sizes, but men's. Right, sure, yeah. sure, adults. Okay, and then um, 
I, I know we talked a little bit about, you know, gloves, hats, blankets. Gloves, hats, and warm blankets. And warm blankets. Okay, perfect. And they would just drop them off on the stoop yeah. at the shelter. Yes. Okay, I think we can help with that for sure. Come on, guys, let's clean out our closets and our spaces. We've got we've got some things that we could help you with for yeah, sure. Be great. Yeah, we will go ahead and put um, the information in the link below so that anyone who has any questions can reach out. Um, is there a website that they can go to or? We do not have a website right now. We're in the okay. middle of rebuilding and rebranding um, the men's shelter. Uh, so it's, um, you know, in construction. Okay, no problem. But we do have the Facebook page. Perfect. And, we will and the Facebook, Facebook page is, we used to have one for years called Taco Men's Shelter OCO. But um, we changed it, and it's just OCO Taco Men's Shelter. So okay. I think that's where you con contacted me, you know, yeah. th through the messenger there. So, yeah, if you want to go um, to that Facebook page and... Um, Check it out. Okay. Got information there. Well, listen, we are just thrilled that you are doing this for the community because regardless of which side of the fence or line you're on, you know, on your feelings of the unhoused, it is an issue that needs to be dealt with and ignoring it is not going to fix it. Yeah. Correct? Correct. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a comprehensive problem and it's going to require a comprehensive solution. Yeah, yeah. We realize it's not going to be something that's fixed overnight. Correct. So, yes. well, thank you for coming in. Is there anything else that you would want to share while we've got you here? No, I think that those are all some really good questions. I, I um, just, um, you know, if anyone ever wants to help us out, you can just contact us on the uh, Facebook Messenger or, um, you know, if anyone wants to do some community outreach with me come on down, then you'll get a better understanding of what's, what these people are facing and, and that they're just they're just regular folks that that um, just need a, a helping hand up. Okay, so if somebody had a specific skill set that they felt like could be useful, they could reach out and you could chat with them? And yeah, any retired social workers or community organizers or anything like that, okay. or whatever. You know. Okay, yeah. open for assistance. Yeah. Okay, Sam, thank you so much for taking the time to come down and visit with us today, and then again for everything that you do with the community. Much appreciated. Guys, as always, please like, follow, and share. And if you have someone that you would like for us to have on the podcast as a guest, please reach out and let us know. We'd be happy to have a chat. Thanks, everyone.